Hey everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Race IndyCar podcast. My name is Jerry Hildebrand, and joining me to analyze the action from Mid Ohio is the Race's American editor, Jack Benyon. Jack, Joseph finally won one. What do you think? Yeah, that was pretty awesome to see him finally win a race. It was just getting to that point where you started to question everything that you believe in about Joseph Newgarden. <laughs> no, and you know we, we know we we know he's been performing at a super high level for for a long time now, and. If he's not the best driver in the championship, then he's you know he's totally in that conversation. And you know you put him at the top of your um, top ten rankings that we did last week. And you know I think that was um, I think that was warranted. And you know the only really thing we can point back to all season with him was was the mistake at Barber to start the season, wasn't it? And apart from that, he's been on a bit of a you know let's say a a bit of a masterclass since then in terms of his driving. I think I don't think there's many many things we can point back to that that kind of went wrong. Before we go into the race, Jr. I just wanted to. Thank, say thank you to everyone listening who's um, listened to our episode of the top 10 rankings. We really enjoyed doing that. Um, no one massively disagreeing with us, JR, apart from Marcus Ericsson. So uh, a small apology to Marcus for not featuring him in the at least the group kind of just outside the top 10 because he has had some some pretty brilliant performances this season at times. And I think, you know, Marcus is really growing into this season, um, you know, massively. And, you know, last year he had a lot of uh, a lot of bad luck and, you know, a, a lot of that new team coming together and really gelling together. And I think we're really starting to see, you know, especially in the the kind of middle portion of this season, we're starting to see um, that team really come together. So I'm sure uh, Marcus is going to be strong in our uh, conversation for top 10 driver of, of the year at the end of the year. And um, yeah, as I said to Marcus, you know, feel free to to come on and join us for an episode and talk about um, your season so far. Please continue to review on your podcast platform of choice. All reviews are welcome. And if there's anyone you want to hear us interview or any topics you want JR and I to take on, then drop us a message via social media. So let's go back to the race, JR. Newgarden took his third pole in a row and stretched a nice gap to the first set of stops in the race when his weekend long rival, Colton Herter, had an issue with his fuel hose. That gifted Ericsson second and the front pairing drove away from the field, really. Um, You know, it was pretty... um, you know, a pretty mad. It was about a seven or eight second gap that that Newgarden had. Ericsson erased it, and in the process, the two of them drove like twenty one seconds into the into the distance. It was a pretty um, a pretty impressive performance from from both drivers. Um, he definitely gave Newgarden something to think about, and I think over the past few weeks, you know, we've seen you know Newgarden have a, a lot of bad luck happen to him. And normally, where you would think Newgarden would be bulletproof in that situation where someone's kind of closing in from behind, this time you kind of you know, raise the question, you know, is Marcus going to be able to do this? And is Newgarden's luck been, you know, is that bad luck going to continue through this race? But finally, on the perfect weekend, he, he ended that winless streak for Penske this year and for himself on the 50th anniversary of Penske's first IndyCar win at Pocono with Mark Donoghue. So, uh, and obviously we should mention Alex Pelot extended his championship lead in third as well. So that's definitely worth a mention. And we interviewed Alex on our podcast last week. So go back and listen to that episode if you've not heard from it yet. It was a nice kind of summary, I hope, of his story and how he got to where he is now. JR, in the closing stages, it kind of, as I mentioned, it kind of just felt like, you know, what's going to go wrong next for Newgarden as, as Ericsson kind of closed in, but he held on. He's 69 points behind in the championship Newgarden with six races to go. Did this drive signal that he can win the championship to you? I think to me the the last couple of couple of weekends has signaled that he can win the championship, and a lot of that just comes from what his deficit is. He's going to have to be able to go out and take poles and win races at this point to be able to really be there at the end of the at the end of the year. He's only, there's only six events left, 
uh, from here on out. So that's really not that many opportunities to close that gap to Alex. Alex has been extremely good. Uh, there was a reason that he was, he and Joseph were sort of tied uh, between us for the top spots on our rankings. And Alex had another drive that that basically cements cements what he's been able to do. And so I think at the beginning of the season for the first four or five events, it was hard to say that there was any particular trend that we were picking up in terms of where exactly guys were going to end up. Now, over these last few events, Joseph's definitely been the the best driver, I'd say, or or the most competitive of this lot that have been up at the front. But Alex has been right there um, to either keep the pressure on or take advantage of mistakes or or whatever it's been. And so, I think you see the strength of the strength of the Ganassi team is is pretty impressive right now. Um, I think that that warrants, you know, warrants our mention of Marcus here earlier in this or earlier in the pod, um, you know, to, for him to have been the best of the three this weekend and, and really be the only one in the race that the only, the only driver anywhere, um, you know, at the, at the end of those stints that, that was keeping Joseph, um, honest is definitely impressive, but just in a general sense, Looking at the championship rundown, considering where Joseph's at, he's going to have to be able to go out and have performances like this. And um, I, you know, I think this shows us that they're that he and the, you know, the two team are definitely capable of doing that. Um, but but this is another race that sort of shows, you know, they're gonna they're gonna have to if this is where they're gonna end up because it's it's hard to it's hard to pick out a a weakness in um in the 10 teams you know schedule from here on out so i guess i'd say with that in mind you know jack you've been crunching the numbers on new gardens championship chances just give us a little flavor of where you stand where you think he stands uh like what what's gonna need to happen here for him to be able to win i think you mentioned it you know he's gonna have to win races and and, and score pole positions and continue to be you know at the front and i think you know we, we know last year that that Joseph was 101 points back at this point and, you know, kind of over overcame that advantage to a certain extent up until the the last race where he finished 17, 16 points behind Scott Dixon. So, you know, I think uh, it's going to be a very difficult run to the finish now for, for Joseph. He needs to outscore Alex below by 12 points per race to win. So, you know, as much as last season was, was very impressive and, and Joseph went on a tear, you know, scoring, outscoring out, Outscoring Alex Blue by 12 points over the course of six races is going to be extremely difficult. It's a big challenge. If anyone can do it, you know, you've mentioned this before. We always feel like Joseph's one of those drivers who's capable of just going on a tear and winning multiple races and, and putting that run together. And we saw him do that last year with his kind of crazy run to the end of the year where his average finish over the last six races last year was 2.83. So, you know, that's 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 kind of what we're dealing with here is like, almost the championship new guard and let's call him where he kind of gets into this mode where he can go on these runs, especially towards the end of the year when the pressure's on, that's when he kind of comes to the fore, doesn't he? And really delivers. So it's unfortunate he's in this position to to be this far back again after last year when equally had some bad luck last year and, you know, should have been arguably much closer to, to Dixon by the time the, the end of the year came. But we've got some interesting things coming up. You know, we've got Nashville where is a it's a new totally new proposition for the drivers. It's a street circuit, but it's Joseph's home track. So you'd like to think, you know, he's going to be, you know, if anyone's 
no, no one needs extra motivation to win an IndyCar race, but if anyone is going to have extra motivation in Nashville, it's going to be Joseph for, for all the work that he's put in behind the scenes with this event as well. And, you know, just, just the, the general kind of love of having this event in, in Nashville, that's going to be a big one for him. And we've also seen him turn his, his Indy GP form around recently and was fourth earlier in the year there and obviously won the race uh, towards the end of last year as well. So, you know, his average finish there is still 11.1. But those two recent results maybe show that Joseph's kind of hitting his stride and kind of mirroring Pagano and, and Power's performances it, that we've seen at Indy GP in the past. So they're going to be interesting ones. But I think, you know, I'll, I'll bring you at this point, Jay. I was going to ask you about this later on. But I think the big thing for Newgarden this year is, you know, we've already had more different race winners than we had last year already at this point. You know, we've had eight already. And to be honest, I feel like there's still five, six, maybe seven drivers who can still win a race this year. We've got, you know, we've got Alexander Rossi has won the last two races at Long Beach and we've got Long Beach coming up. Um, you know, we've got Laguna, Saker and Portland where, all right, you know, there's only been one or, or two races respectively in the IndyCar series recently with with those, you know, while Joseph's been at Penske even, but, you know, he's not, you know, he's not been ideal places for him. So, you know, I think with the races that we've got coming up, I really think there's there's still five, six, seven drivers who can win a race. And maybe that wasn't the case last year when when Newgarden was going on that run. And I, I don't know, maybe that's a, maybe that's too much of a generalisation, but I, I just definitely think there's there's a few drivers still who can win a race this year and they're going to, you know, give Newgarden, you know, a run for his money and that's going to make clawing these points back difficult. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. I think that uh, you mentioned Rossi, you know, if he gets, if he really gets on form, he had a good weekend this past weekend. He's had a couple of good weekends recently, just in terms of getting back into the, into the meet, into a meaningful position for podiums. And, and I think we know that when those guys really get it right, that they, that they're going to be in a position to win. So that's uh, some, as you mentioned, a couple of circuits that, that have suited Alexander in the past, Jack Harvey, I think is definitely a threat. Uh, to win a race this year with a couple of events that he's shown, shown well out in the past. Um, Roma, you know, getting, coming back to the Indy GP. And I think these are looking, looking ahead to Portland and Laguna. Those are some circuits that definitely suit him. So just off the top without even getting that far outside of, you know, the, without, without making any crazy, you know, uh, predictions, we're talking about some very plausible, race winners, uh, out of drivers that, uh, that have been close here, here recently. Um, you know, that being said, it's all just going to come down to, you know, I think a, another part of this, which I think leads into our next, our next sort of thought here is how good do we think Ganassi as a group is going to continue to be? And so that, that probably as much as anything is the thorn in Joseph's side for the rest of the year, in my opinion. For sure. You know, we saw another brilliant, consistent Ganassi performance. We mentioned Marcus Ericsson and, and Alex Pelot finishing on the podium. Obviously, Scott Dixon was in there as well and and making that a really uh, good day for, for Ganassi on the whole. Even if, you know, Joseph does single-handedly drag Penske into contention, because at the minute it doesn't feel like you know, Simon Pagano and Will Power are on the verge of, of winning races at the moment. I know they've had, a, they both had a lot of bad luck and they are drivers who are capable of winning at any moment. But, you know, my point is that the momentum is not with them at the minute, is it? So even if Joseph can single-handedly drag that team into contention, do you think the sum total of the Ganassi team, you know, will give Polo and, and Dixon a big advantage in, in the closing races coming up? Yeah, it's funny. You just mentioned Will Power and Simon Pagano, and I think I didn't include them in my just brief little list there because I'm just so used to them already, having, already have been 
uh, on the top of the podium at this point during the year at some point. So add, add two more guys that could just go out and win a race. Uh, it, at this point in the year, they're, you know, it's, they're not completely out of contention, but it seems like relative to Joseph's form, it would, it, I, I think I would think if one of them went and won a race, they're actually hurting Joseph's chances at this stage, as far as a Penske car ending up, um, at the top of the heap at the end of the year. But, um, you, you talk about Ganassi, we've mentioned it a couple of times here. You know, it's interesting when we were, when we were looking at the driver rankings for last week's pod, it really, it was the first time that I'd really looked that closely at the season's results just as a, as a cumulative bunch of results from qualifying to the race. And, and one of I, like I mentioned on the pod, one of my sort of metrics or one of the things that I looked at was finishing in qualifying in the races and, and getting a little flavor for what's happening over the course of the weekend outside of that, just relative to their teammates. Um, because that's, that's one way that we know that we can judge you know, one driver versus another, just how are you doing versus the guys on your team? And it really is remarkable how close together those three guys at Ganassi have been really just over the course of the year. They have absolutely been the most consistently fast team of drivers without question by a mile. You know what I mean? Like it's, they've, they've been, those three drivers have been better than any three drivers on either, any, either of the other big teams will say. Um, by a significant margin. And so you got to feel like that. Again, does that turn into a situation in some respects where they're stealing some points from each other? If if they get into a situation where Joseph is ripping off race wins, then that's potentially a small disadvantage of having three really quick guys that are all, in essence, in the championship hunt at this point. Obviously, Marcus has a bit of a disadvantage to where Scott and Alex are in the overall standings. But, um, you know, he's shown that this, this past weekend, certainly in the race, um, he was absolutely the best guy out of the Ganassi squad. He was running laps at the end of, end of those black tire stints. You know, he was still running high one Oh nines where Scott and Alex, you know, I felt like we were having a tough time getting into the low tens at times being consistently that quick. So they definitely figured out something, um, you know, on Marcus's car and, and he, he found what he was looking for. And that's, uh, you know, he's definitely making a case for himself towards, you know, as we get into the second half of the season to be right in the mix on a weekend, to weekend basis, along with the other two guys. So, um, I think that overall that just, that breeds a lot of confidence within the organization. And, and I just look at Polo and I think, Joseph actually mentioned it in some of his post-race comments as being identifying Alex as being sort of the most complete of the, say, just this current young generation of guys, guys that are within a year or two of being fresh into the IndyCar series. And I couldn't agree more with that. That's sort of a perfect way to describe what he's doing. Uh, he's, he has definitely just from, uh, from the way that he gets through his weekends, we obviously, you know, he drives a little bit differently. He doesn't have the same personality as Scott Dixon. So it's not, not altogether like he's like, we're witnessing a young Scott Dixon, but just the, the way that he gets through the weekends is, is very similar to what we're used to seeing from Scott, just that ability to maybe not have the best car, not have exactly what he's looking for. And he still ends up on the podium, you know? And so I think that's that 
the combination of how good all of those guys are, obviously we can't count Scott out in the slightest as being a guy that, you know, they figure a couple of things out and get, get him, you know, get underneath him, the car that he really needs and is looking for at some of these places. He's a guy that could go on a tear and win a few races. And and then we're talking about Scott and Alex at the end of the year instead. So definitely if, if nothing else, we can say there's a tremendous amount of strength within that group right now. They seem to be on a roll. It, it would be difficult at this point to pick out anywhere that you'd think there, there's no reason to think they're going to show up at any of the remaining tracks on the schedule and not be right in the mix. So that fundamentally is the toughest thing that Joseph's got up against him at this point. It doesn't, it, 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 it if Joseph has a bad weekend, it's unlikely that he's going to catch a break with that. Just wanted to touch on, on Simon Pagano and Will Power, because you'd mentioned them both there and we, we spoke about them earlier on. Obviously, Will Power was taken out of contention fairly early on after qualifying high up. He was running fourth, I think, when, he had the incident with Scott Dixon through turn five when when Dixon squeezed him towards the curb and Will just lost the the rear on the curb and then in the smoke of him trying to kind of keep things going there he was completely unsighted and Ed Jones hit him so that took him out of the race and then Simon I think we can go back to one of what I thought was one of the kind of more interesting parts of the weekend even though it didn't happen in the race it was in qualifying but I really felt like Simon could have been a contender over the the course of this weekend. And the the bit where it all fell apart was another person who you'd mentioned earlier on, Jack Harvey, was basically going through and qualifying in that first group. He was second fastest, but there was some sort of miscommunication and he didn't know. And he kept pushing and then lost the car at the exit of turn nine and and spun. And then Simon Pagano and Alexander Rossi were, were coming up on him and were deemed to have not slowed enough under the yellow fags that happened due to that incident. So we kind of had a situation where Simon and Alexander Pagano and Rossi lost their, their laps, but Alexander Rossi had a, a good enough banker lap that it, that kept him, you know, in the graduating positions to go through to the top 12, whereas Simon lost his lap and went from fourth to, to starting right at the back of the field. And, you know, we already know that he struggled quite, you know, quite a lot with qualifying since the, the aero screen came in. And, you know, while last year, he was able to to pull off some heroics every now and again from from the back of the grid. You know, he's spoken at length, and, and many drivers have about the importance of starting up front, basically, and and being in that position. And it looked like it was going to be one of Simon's better qualifying performances of the season. But obviously, that that kind of situation messed things up a bit. And you know, it looked like Alexander really backed off, but less so Simon. You know, watching from the onboard, um, obviously the stewards will have had the data from those two cars. Joe, I just wanted to get your opinion on on that. Really, um, you know, would you do? Would you have done anything differently in that position, or do you think the the kind of the penalties and, and what what happened there was fair? I think basically the penalties are what they are in that situation. When you have a car that's at that point, I, I actually when I was watching it, so I was I was with the Foyt guys all weekend. We were watching it because Sebastian Bourdais was one of the beneficiaries of that situation. He got through to the fast twelve after I think if all of those guys had completed their laps he was going to be seventh. And so he ended up sixth or fifth or whatever it was with, with um, Jack. I think he ended up fifth with Jack and Simon's laps going away. And then Rossi going from his sort of quick lap to his second quickest lap. Uh, Rossi ended up sixth, sixth there in that, in that situation. So it was hard to tell watching it as it was happening, whether there even were yellow flags out. That was obviously the assumption that we made, assuming that was obviously that was the case 
Um, you know, that's just, yeah, I mean, your sector time there has to be slow. And given that those guys were setting their fastest laps at that point, you can't do it without, you know, setting quite a quick sector through that final final corner. And there's just not not enough of a difference between all the drivers to, uh, to not have that matter. So that was an unfortunate situation without question for Pagano looking at, at, at Jack's, Jack's, you know, sort of scenario there. Um, it's so like bang, bang, as guys are going across the line, it's hard for the teams to, you'd like to think in a perfect situation that, that they have everything completely mapped out and they know that there's only a couple of guys behind him and he's got plenty of room, but, um, you know, sometimes they're they're just going to let you finish your lap at that point anyway if you're on a good lap. And for both he and Simon, you know, looking forward to the race, uh, obviously Rossi ended up getting through there anyway, so it didn't didn't end up ultimately affecting his his qualifying scenario by much. Uh, those were both guys that were uh, Jack in particular was super fast. I mean, on the so he was on reds for the last stint. Turned out that it was a big question mark whether the reds and blacks whether the reds were going to go off and the, you know, you've seen in recent years that there have been some instances where uh, maybe just because of setup or whatever, the guys stuck on reds at the end of the race, uh, that that's not been the the hot setup um, or, or the, the sort of strategy that you wanted to be on. Jack was on reds for the final stint yesterday and just outright, like just on pace caught up and passed Marcus and Joseph and drove away from Joseph at the end of the race um, on, you know, more or less the same pit cycle at that point. So uh, it definitely, definitely an event that I, I'm sure left those guys wondering what could have been if they had, uh, if they'd have been able to get through this, this qualifying situation a bit better, but altogether it, it, it is, it, it, these types of events going completely pear shaped for guys like Simon and Jack just after these situations, you sort of look at, you look at the IndyCar series just a couple of years ago or, or two or three years ago. And you kind of think, Oh, guys on big teams like that, that, you know, have the potential to have some pace advantage and, and you know, that they're going to have good pit stops and all the things that come with being an, you know, an Andretti or a Penske driver in those situations, sort of given the benefit of the doubt that maybe they they'll be able to make up for that. And the reality of it, like you said, and like a lot of drivers have been saying this year is qualifying just matters that much because you're not going to catch those breaks in the race. Um, and so that's, that was an unfortunate early, you don't want to say an early end, but, but definitely without, a, without cautions, without the field getting bunched back up, which is happening you know, it, it, it doesn't happen often at mid-Ohio. Uh, there's a lot of places you can go off and keep it together and drive back on the track, basically. So uh, it was just an unfortunate end, you know, early sort of end, basically, to those guys' chances of of being on the podium or, or being in the top five. Um, and, I you know, I look at, I'll, I'll, you know, comment just briefly on on Will's sort of situation. This is another race for him that, I, it definitely left me wondering where where he would have ended up. You know, Joseph really ended up struggling on the blacks so at the end, particularly the third stint. But even on the second stint, on maintaining the pace in the car, there was no particular reason at that point to feel like there was no there was no indication through practice or anything else that either of the other Penske cars would have been better in that situation. But apparently, he was getting a little bit of 
you know, slippage basically on the rim, tire moving around on the rim, getting some vibrations, particularly on the rears. Um, you know, those are those are things that happen, but they they can definitely take a little bit of your pace away. It would have been I I wish that we would have been able to see where Will could have ended up there because he was on on blacks in the first stint, and given the way that the reds hung in, that could have been an advantage for him later in the race. So an unfortunate, uh, legitimate end to his race. And, um, you know, something that you don't like to see from in situations like that happening so early to take a, take a genuine contender out. Jack getting back to it. It was another tough weekend for Andretti in, in a bunch of similar ways, you know, looking at what we've just talked about, all four cars qualified in the top 10 for the first time this season, which was certainly heartening to see, I'm sure, for them. But Rossi was the only finisher in the top 10 in fifth. We talked a little bit about Colton earlier. So what was your take on this weekend for them? And, and is this a sign of them turning it around? Is this a mid-Ohio only scenario for them? Where, where do you think that they're at? And what does this weekend indicate for you for them well they're often so strong at mid-ohio aren't they but this was such a weird race again for andretti it's been such a weird season for them where you know the drivers are kind of like happy with the car and you know seem to be at times kind of pleased how things going and then they're just not there when it comes to to crunch time so it's it's been such an unusual season for them but we mentioned her to a couple of times having the the fuel hose issue in the race and i think you know we were chatting offline before the podcast started and but you know both of us said we reckoned Colton could have won that race without his two pit stop issues. And he was rapid again at the end there. There was even a chance he might have, you know, been able to get on the podium, but there was just that train of cars from, from Polo, Dixon, Rossi, Ray Hall, and then O'Ward and, and Grosjean. And later on, Ferrucci just kind of in a train there. And it was just so difficult for anyone to to pass and, and her to obviously had to stop at the end um, from, from running in seventh at, at that point due to just not having enough fuel on board due to the, the earlier issues, I think. So, Bit of a mess of a race for for them. Not not necessarily anything that they you know that team had, had particularly done wrong. I don't think it was you know just a matter of circumstance and these things can happen in in racing. It looked like it had been a brilliant recovery drive from from Colton, which made you think you know would he have been you know Harry and Newgarden for the win at the end there, given the the kind of you know the the rate that Ericsson was able to close and the, the, the problems that Newgarden said that that he had. So. That that kind of um, that was a big loss for them to to lose Colton from the equation. I think Alexander, you know, basically got the most out of his race. I think there. I mean, he, he, obviously, Alex Below jumped Scott Dixon, and there was a bit of kind of movement going on in, in in the pit lane there, which was where kind of everything kind of happened on those second stops because everyone was so bunched close together and overtaking was so difficult. It made in and out laps really important. But yeah, a bit of a difficult one there. And then obviously going back to the the start of the race, we had uh, James Hinchcliffe just nudging Ryan Hunter Ray into a into a spin, and then he hit the barrier and and Hinch had damage and had to go to the back. So just a nightmare weekend for those two, really, based on the fact that you know they both qualified in the top ten. Um, you know, a beautiful scenario based on the fact that there's been a fair bit of speculation mounting up now that that Michael Andretti is willing to kind of move things around for next year and you know, the only two drivers who have contract situations are, are Hinchcliffe and, and Hunter Ray at that team. So they're the two under pressure who've maybe not delivered as much as as Rossi and Herter have at that team at the moment. And they're the the ones in the firing line and they just delivered this kind of, you know, kind of two fingers up situation of here's a here's a great qualifying for all you critics to to kind of suck on basically. But 
obviously in the race it didn't go to plan there was a lot of checking up through through turn four and turn five as we often see at mid ohio it's such a common thing but there's not really any kind of solution to it you just kind of got to kind of get out of the way and predict when things are going to slow down and things are going to check up and it's that's an extremely difficult thing to do so uh, it's just so typical i thought jr of of andretti's season that it was those two who kind of, you know, any they could have hit anyone in that sort of group, but it was those two who came together and those two who'd qualified so well and were, you know, set to to effectively turn their seasons around potentially with a with a really good result. Um, and like like I mentioned, it was a bit of a shame to see that kind of last stint of the race where everyone was just kind of formed in a chain and, and found it quite difficult to pass. Obviously. Grosjean made a mistake at the keyhole, which allowed uh, Colton Herter through. And there was there was a little bit of movement at the back of the train, but in, in the kind of middle situation there, we had, you know, Rossi, Ray Hall, and those kind of guys just really unable to kind of make a move. And at the back of that, we saw O'Ward and, and Grosjean. Did either of those, you know, stand out as kind of low-key drivers of the day? You know, you picked out Roman for his performance at at Road America recently, um, but, but both him and Pato, you know, Grosjean started 18th and, and got into the top 10 there, as did Pato, who started 20th. So a good turnaround for Pato in terms of the, the championship, you know, uh, good uh, points saved. But yeah, did either of those jump out to you as kind of low-key drivers of the day? I think I'm I'm still, it's still fun, just fun watching Roman get through his, get through his sort of IndyCar, uh, you know, baptism here at all of these tracks that he's not been to before, just to see the charge that he puts on at different points in the race you know, how opportunistic he is passing guys that there was no shortage of that, or at least trying to uh, at mid Ohio, he was definitely trying some moves that I feel like the more seasoned vets aren't, don't do anymore. You know, they've run out of, they run out of faith that they're going to make a pass on the outside of the keyhole. So you just don't see it, try to see them trying it anymore. Um, So that was just, you never know. and, And people often look at these things from the outside and think, Oh, well, you know, he's just been driving around, in a Formula One car, you know, kind of at the back, not really, he, he's not been racing anybody basically for, for a few years now um, to see that he's still got that in him and obviously has the skill set and, and never lost any of that, that, that honestly for guys in Europe that you probably aren't, you're not, uh, you're not develop, developing that, that skill set in, in this way um, much formula series this is much more like junior formula racing from that perspective just how closely you're racing other guys how close everything is together the competitiveness the or the i guess the parity basically among drivers and teams um relative to what you see in europe certainly compared to formula one for a guy that's had that long of a formula one career it's been a long time so always kind of cool to see um just just what he brings to the table there and and how aggressive he is but I think to me, uh, you know, the the drivers of the day really were, or the drives of the day from that perspective. I think still, still probably go to to Marcus to be able to do what he did, although it's it wasn't slicing and dicing the way that some of the other guys were. And and I think, frankly, Colton to recover to where he ended up and and to have the pace that he did and and be able to work his way back up to where he was was quite impressive. Pato you know, is these, we get used to seeing these things from him, um, when he's got the pace in the car, uh, you know, and, and I would say Roma, but only, only he probably doesn't quite make my cut just because he definitely, definitely had a few of those moves, uh, go, go pear shaped. 
uh, more frequently than he has over the last couple of weekends. But but certainly, I think the most fun to watch out there. And um, you know, it, it just it makes it, it's it's keeping everything very interesting. You know, this is a track where, to be honest with you, we're used to seeing it. There, there have been a lot of races here that have just been that kind of train throughout the entire field for the entire race. So it was interesting talking to a few guys afterwards. I actually, I'm, I'm still out here at, at mid Ohio. We're getting ready to, uh, the row kit 14 squad has, uh, Tatiana Calderon in the, in the car tomorrow, another row kit or rocket, uh, supported driver. Um, been cool to get to know her a little bit. We've crossed paths a couple of times as, as drivers, like just over the years, seeing each other at the track. So, um, uh, be great to, see what she thinks of the IndyCar after spending some time in super formula lately, uh, among other things. Um, but it was interesting talking to Graham. He was out at the track today, uh, with a group of sort of enthusiasts that, that, uh, you know, they through his GR performance, they prepare their cars they are doing a track day here. And he was saying just how slick the track got and how hard it was to follow during the race. I mean, the lap time, even I was surprised lap time was as slow as it was throughout the course of the race. And then looking at some of the onboards, watching guys through turn one, just all over the place, having to pick crazy lines to try to get a little bit of clean air or do really driving around just what the car will give you at that point. You know, all of those guys were, you know, one little mistake away from just getting freight trained by, you know, two, three, four cars in that train. Um, it really speaks to the, just the, the skill set of all of the drivers that um that you don't have more cautions you don't have more guys chucking it off with this current arrow kit in a situation like that where the track grip you know does seem to degrade in the heat of the day so um you know it's it's unfortunate that a lot of times on the tv all you really get is just these guys all kind of cruising around in line but um you know i can assure you it's i, mean, I can assure you just staying put is a hard thing to do when you're in that situation so um you know, I think that all, all in all, we had we definitely had a bit of excitement over the course of the weekend, and um, you know, it it definitely gives us a sense of just how tight things might be for the rest of the year. On O'Ward, I wanted to ask you about him because I'm still kind of a little bit uncertain on how he kind of fits into this championship picture. Now, obviously, he's second in the championship, so by the kind of by the numbers, he's he's there and 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 ready to, ready to go. But it just feels like we've talked about Joseph and Scott. Newgarden and Dixon um, about them being able to just go on a tear and potentially, you know, win for three or four races or, or, you know, have an average finish of, you know, well inside the top five and, and even finish the next six races in the top five or, or the top 10 and, and really put together strong championship charges. And I, I'm still just not convinced that this, this Aaron McLaren SP team is, is in that ballpark where, they're going to be able to to consistently, you know, it feels like Pato can go out and win another race or or have another headline performance, but then they'll take another step back at another race where they just kind of miss the setup a little bit or 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 are just not quite on it. So I don't know, maybe I'm being too harsh, JR, but what's your kind of feeling about how Pato fits into this title fight now? I think that from my perspective, looking at it from the, it's, it's easy to just look at the results and say that they haven't had the consistency of you know, Joseph or Ganassi as a squad, um, you know, that's, that's sort of obvious, like that's an easy thing to point out. Right. 
uh, it, it all it uh, it feels that way too when you're watching the race weekends that they they have just been it's been a little bit more hit or miss if you compare them to Ganassi being the ones that we've obviously mentioned already here today uh, as being hyper consistent and and very close together as a group. I guess that's the other thing that stands out to me is we've we've gone through this brief stint here where Felix wasn't in the car. His performance has been a little bit surprising to me. I I I would have I was thinking coming into this year that Felix that we'd be talking about Felix just as much as we're talking about Pato, basically. And for however that would end up working itself out from a results perspective, that they 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 seem like different drivers. They seem like they bring different things to the table. But I wouldn't have expected that that leaned in Pato's direction just in terms of actually collecting the results as much as it has. Um, and I, I guess it makes me wonder just what I, when you look at the when you look at Aero McLaren as a team relative to the other groups. I guess I just kind of sit there and go, okay, Pato is is still really just in his in his second year here. We know that he can drive the hell out of the car, um, and we know that he can deliver when it's underneath him and it's there. Do I feel like he's got all of the tools the way that I think Joseph does to get it get it all working around him within the team and get the car to does does he know exactly what he needs from the car in the same way that some of the more experienced you know it seems silly to be calling Joseph Newgarden a veteran in the series because he's still a pretty young guy and, and all this kind of stuff but I guess you 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 see where I'm going with that I guess I'd say I don't feel like Pato probably has all of that going for him and so he's a driver that would benefit I would think substantially from just being in a situation where there's where you do have more around you to to build up that just foundational competitiveness weekend to weekend that you see from Newgarden and generally Penske Ganassi for sure this year and, and usually from the Andretti guys as well. Um, and it just doesn't seem like that's happening. And and Felix being a bit more of a question mark just session to session weekend to weekend than I think I would have thought that he'd be it and we don't have a lot of insight into why that is um there there might be some really good reasons for that um but it just strikes me that as a team they're not they're not consistently finding you know it's not even just what they're looking for but what they what they fundamentally need every weekend to get on a roll and be able to consistently be up there. So I think that probably as much as anything, as, as much as just the fact that they've had sort of inconsistent results, how those inconsistent results have come and the fact that he and Felix are not always in the same place on the charts over the course of a weekend and all of that, that just, that doesn't give me just looking at it from the outside, that doesn't quite give me the confidence that I would need to be able to sit there and say, if I was an odds maker to sit there and go, they are a totally legit, you know, totally genuine threat at this point, you know, looking forward from this point on. For sure. And I think Felix is a, a big, a, a big loss in many ways on, on the, you know, in the point standings. But I think, I think the team would give him a lot of credit for the car moving back towards something that is more drivable on a regular basis. Because I think the, 
the reason he's so far down the order is there's a there's a couple of things that have happened in races where things haven't gone his way, but fundamentally he struggled to adapt to to this car and and you know we've seen it with Juan Pablo Montoya as well talking about the you know just how kind of out there the car is to drive that that Felix is you know has struggled to adapt to it coming from from Ganassi, but also is kind of like it's not that he's unwilling to to kind of adapt to it, but you know wants to wants to mold the car around himself to a certain extent and to to make the car easier to drive and i think there's there's a balance of of things happening there that you know the the results definitely aren't showing up on on paper but there's there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes and i think the team would credit felix for for some of the setup work that's been done there and i think they are starting to move towards a more consistent package it's just still just doesn't feel like this this year is is their year even though it sounds stupid to say that 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 Pato second in the championship, but I just wanted to give a couple more shout outs before we move on anywhere else. Uh, Ryan Norman made his debut with, with Dale coin with Rick Rare Racing and finished 20th. So that was a, a pretty decent result. I thought he, you know, kind of approached the weekend fairly sensibly and, you know, finished ahead of some, some, some pretty, uh, some pretty decent guys there. So I can't believe we just talked about Felix and I forgot to mention that he was kind of caught up in that first lap crash as well, where he ended up backwards. He'd been spun around by that whole, kind of uh, Hinch, Ryan Hunter, Ray, melee situation where, where he was spun around as well. So that's what happened to to him. Um, is there anyone else we need to mention, JR? I think uh, I think we've covered off most people there. I think, like I said, Ryan Norman coming in, um, you know, at this point of the season against a, a very competitive field, I thought he, you know, displayed a, a very good approach to the weekend and, and delivered, you know, basically what can be expected of the team there. And, and, Although he's got more single-seater experience than than someone like Cody Ware, who who drove that car last time, still think that was a you know a reasonable debut. Yeah, no doubt. And I think um, you know in in, the, in that situation, given the competitiveness of the series, not driving for one of the big teams, that you know, you, you figure Dale Coin Racing at this point is you know they've they've in you know in my view punched a bit above their weight with with Roman the you know ed jones has been consistently he's he's getting i would say like better and better more more like right on the verge of being right there and qualifying weekend to weekend you, know, you look at their package it, it definitely strikes you as something that uh you know is is capable of of running well you know weekend and week in and week out i mean the beautiful thing about uh, we'll just all i'm gonna go off on a bit of a tangent here but the beautiful thing about the indycar series from that perspective is you know, with, with good and certainly in the road and street circuits, even basically everywhere outside of Indianapolis, where there's a lot of R and D that's really specific to just making the cars fast. They're like making the cars so they roll down the straightaway fast that with a good engineering crew and good mechanics and good pit stops and, and all the rest of it. And, and even backing away from the pit stops and all that kind of stuff during the race, just with the right group of engineers, with the right point of view and drivers that are on the same page uh, you can be hyper competitive in the IndyCar series with really with just that from a from an outright pace perspective, which, as with any championship across the globe these days, counts for counts for a lot. You know, when we talk about you know when we talk about what enables you to finish well in IndyCar races, it sounds stupidly simple, but really it just comes down to your like average lap time over the course of the race and um you know that's why i think you're that's why you that's why it's possible for smaller teams to to do well in this championship because achieving that lap time doesn't come down to you know the the types of uh the types of things that formula one teams are doing to separate themselves from each other so 
for Ryan to back to Ryan Norman to for him to jump in and just do the job he did, you know, is his his goal over a weekend like this and a championship from a driver perspective that is competitive as as this is, is to sort of like not embarrass yourself and go get some experience. And, you know, hopefully over the course of the weekend, there's there's plenty, there's plenty to, to be learned. So hopefully you go out there and you and you learn those things. And I think that, like you said, his approach to the weekend seemed seemed uh, sort of realistic and and clear in terms of what he was there to do and um, got better, got better every session. So it's certainly no, no faulting him for that. And, uh, you know, good on Dale Coyne for giving a few guys some extra chances. It's a, you talk to teams and, uh, you know, perspectives on whether doing things like that, or even in testing, you know, is that detracting from your you know, full-time cars or adding to it somehow. And um, I always think it's just great to see, you know, new drivers getting a chance uh, in the IndyCar series. It's such a, it's so much more accessible from that perspective than any other major championships are that uh, it's always, I think it's always, it's always an interesting thing to see when you see it happen. And and every once in a while you're surprised. And that's, uh, that's those are the types of little surprises that sometimes shake up a driver market going into the following year or, or give guys a chance that they wouldn't otherwise get at that level somewhere else. So, um, you know, a good job by him. And I think the only other, you know, things that I would say is just being, being on track over the course of the weekend was, you know, just how cool circuits like this are that, that the IndyCar series runs at, you know, you go, I, I went for a, a run around the track for a couple laps during the, during the, uh, the track walk on Thursday. And, you know, just the fact that the top tier open wheel championship in the United States runs at these circuits that, you know, they're not, you know, the, the, like, it's got kind of a crazy crowns in the road and, you know, the curbing's getting a little torn up and, you know, the types of things that you complain about sometimes when you're on track and you're thinking, man, like this would be nice if it was freshly paved. But, um, you know, that they're, they're not particularly forgiving places. There's a lot of compromises that you have to make. You have to be considerate of the fact that there's a lot of places if you go off that you're going to be wrecking the car. Um, you know, I think just in, in contrast to watching a handful of the recent F1 races, the fact that, you know, we're here going from, you know, Detroit to Road America to Mid-Ohio here. And, and frankly, the rest of the schedule after this, uh, is definitely something that's pretty cool that you get to drive, get to drive these, this type of car, this performance of car on on tracks like this that have been a part of, you know, uh, racing in the United States, you know, since back in the back in the 60s and 70s is is definitely a pretty cool thing. If not, I guess in Road America's case, if not further back than that. So um, yeah, always always a fun always a fun track to to be at a great vibe with the fans out here on 4th of July weekend. And um, you guys all get a little bit of a break before they get on the, the home stretch. Couldn't agree more. It's a, it's a perfect place to end the podcast. Good luck with your uh, help with Tatiana this week. I know she's looking forward to, to testing tomorrow and uh, yeah, I'm sure that's going to, that's going to be an interesting one to watch to see how Tatiana gets on and whether that evolves into, into something more across silly season and, and looking at next year for her. But that's the end of this week's The Race IndyCar podcast with all the action from Mid-Ohio. 
like I said at the start, make sure you're leaving us a review and give us any feedback for anything that we should be doing differently or anything that you want to hear on the podcast in the future. And we'll catch you sometime before Nashville. Mm-hmm.